The year is 1980. A few years earlier, Chevy Chase left a successful inaugural season at Saturday Night Live to pursue a film career. Meanwhile, Bill Murray is at the height of his SNL-era popularity. Coming off the smash box office hit Animal House, which highlighted a slobs versus snobs theme with its irreverent comedy, the T was perfectly set for what many consider a hole-in-one comedy classic, Caddyshack. Welcome, everybody. Miles, how are you, friend? I am doing well, buddy. How you doing? Doing okay as we talk about our first in our franchise, Follies. You know, the entire week, I've been trying to remember what you titled this month. (laughs) And I kept coming up with, like, different things. But yes, Franchise Follies, which I really, really love. Which we are Um, taking a look at original movies and the stumbling blocks in their franchises. Maybe they kept them from sequels. Maybe they kept them from from a remake. Who knows? Who will see as we get into it? And of course, the first movie that we are going to talk about is 1980's Caddyshack. And it's... Ooh, unfortunate <laughs> sequel, 1988's Caddyshack 2. Yeah, I was really looking forward to getting to this because I, I definitely have memories of seeing Caddyshack when I was younger. And I know, like this said, the last time I probably actively watched it was on VHS. Um, I, like I said, I have good memories associated with watching it, but I, I've never, I've never been one of those. There are people that like are real like champions for this movie as like one of the greatest comedies of all time and it, it's 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 interesting to been to have like gone back and and not only watch this movie but kind of look into uh the development of the film and then the talent involved and and for me trying to see exactly why some people feel that way and i mean part of it is you know when you're especially with, with a comedy uh, film is so subjective anyway that you know sometimes when you're in 2020 watching something from 1980 or 1947 it can be hard to really click into why some certain things are so beloved and so it's kind of fun to try to get back into that headspace for sure i don't know if that's where you were at or not i mean i have seen caddyshack a number of times honestly i know that i have seen uh the full cut of caddyshack but what i remember is the edited for content cable TV version of Caddyshack. So it's funny because I haven't seen it in a while. And there are some scenes in this movie that I did not remember being in the movie, but uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Uh, and I've never seen Caddyshack 2 until this week. and I hadn't either. So that was, Ooh, a, that, that was, a, that was a treat. <laughs> I, I, I knew of it based on its reputation, which is why we picked it for, for our intro. But Yeah, and you know what's, what's wild is like... <sighs> I, if, if I if you ask me about it, I knew that the reputation of Caddyshack 2 was that it was awful, but I never really run to people that have seen it or it never really comes up because, you know, doing research, this now comes up as like one of the worst sequels of all time. And as bad as, as someone may think it is or was, I've seen way worse sequels. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, we'll get into it. So let's, I'm let's, not championing the film, but I have seen worse sequels. <laughs> so let's see. Let's start with Caddyshack. So Caddyshack began as an idea developed by writer and co-star Brian Doyle Murray, uh, inspired by him and his brother. He is Bill Murray's brother. Bill Murray works with a lot of his brothers, but Brian Doyle Murray is is I think the most famous of the Murray brothers outside of Bill. Um, I think he was an SNL cast member or writer as well. He was. Um, uh, so it uh, basically based on their experiences as caddies when they were teenagers. Harold Ramis, director and co-writer of Caddyshack, also caddied as a teen. So many of the characters featured in the film are based on real people that they encountered. And some of the, the film's zanier moments actually happened in real life or so they I think. I think that's what kind of really surprised me when when researching this is specific scenes that I thought oh, there's no way like, the, you know, reading that line but uh some of the ones like where you know someone gets hit in the in in the generals with a golf ball sure i I can imagine that probably happened it actually happened to ramus 
but the the one of my favorite scenes in the movie and and one that did stick with me as a kid is the scene involving the baby ruth candy bar being thrown into the swimming pool is based off a real life incident from doe murray's high school years so i i kind of love that that sort of stuff it, it makes me really appreciate some of the stuff they did because like I, the, the real life is always stranger than fiction and so sometimes you can glean some of the more fantastic stuff out of it. Um, however, as light as the fa- the film may be, production was pretty much anything but. Uh, the original script was like a gargantuan 200 pages that went through so many changes. Most of the actors really lost track of who their characters were and what they were doing and what their motivations were behind the scenes. Oh, really? The script and- changes were what caused that? Well, <laughs> it definitely wasn't helped that the set was basically described as a permanent party. Uh, cocaine was virtually everywhere, and nearly everyone was doing it every day. <laughs> so <laughs> I've heard this about this movie, and quite frankly, a lot of movies, not only at this era, but surrounding this cast. This group of people, yes. I mean, the, the Animal House we mentioned in the intro was was known for that. There, There's, I mean, let's talk. We can't talk about SNL and the number of people that have died of drug-related issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it, it, it is definitely a, you know, a sober moment in talking about this stuff, but... All, all of these films around this time, uh, Meatballs as well, which Murray and Ramis were involved in. I mean, this, yeah, like like Drew said, this entire era was, I, I was talking to this, uh, about this with Drew before we started recording, is what's, what's insane about this movie and even Animal House and Meatballs is how improv-based these films are and how they got away with selling almost a nothing script to a studio or at least promising a script to a studio and basically letting their friends ad lib for two hours and somehow making a movie out of it. Right. And, and Ramis, keep in mind, this is Ramis's first directing job. We know him as being Harold Ramis, the great comedy director and writer, uh, but, and Egon and Egon, uh, but this was his first directing job. So after they were done, uh, because of all the improv, which works great for capturing comedic moments, he was left with a four hour cut of the movie with no narrative thread going through it at all. Okay. 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 This movie in its original form is longer than an extended cut of Lord of the Rings. And I, I don't know whether any of this footage exists, but I want there to be. I I do, but at the same time, I I don't know if I need it. I I I don't know. Like like this week that you know the news came out that you know the 170 minute cut of Batman Forever actually exists that they've talked about for 15 20 years. I do want to see that because I can see making a good movie out of out of out of all of that, but. A four-hour cut of a cocaine-fueled Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, <laughs> Roddy Dangerfield. I'm sure for about maybe the length of Caddyshack, it will be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know how much more I need. So, so luckily, John Peters, the film's producer, suggested adding the gopher storyline... And it cost the studio an additional $500,000 after principal shooting had been completed. And it also caused a lot of the caddies' subplots to be cut. There are a lot of named caddies in this movie. Really, only one of them matters. Yeah. And even then, there is some heavy stuff that happens to that character that I feel like there's some darker story element that's on the cutting room floor. Absolutely. And... On one hand, yeah, I get that the gopher is what sort of kind of keeps this movie threaded together. But one of my complaints that we're going to talk about is <laughs> a lot of the caddy's story from a movie called Caddyshack doesn't seem to really exist, <laughs> except for superficially. Um, mostly it goes to, you know, the the big talent. And obviously, when you have Ronnie Dangerfield, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray on the set, 
yeah, you're going to focus on those guys. And nearly every single one of their iconic lines from movies, the stuff that everyone quotes, was not a result of of the, the four-hour or 200-page script that Ramis wrote, but the improv that we've mentioned before. And <laughs> speaking of Murray, while Ramis had him for basically just six days because he was in between shooting um, Where the Buffalo Room, the Hunter S. Thompson movie, and going back to work on SNL – he had this this little sliver of time, and during that time, going to the movie, um, he somehow I've always seen the word commandeered used, but he basically stole Lorne Michaels' VW Bug, drove it from New York to LA, and then to the Florida where they were shooting Caddyshack, and then rolls up basically and just starts working. But then. <laughs> As soon as his scene's done, he disappears. He wakes up on a nude beach with one of the female leads with no recollection of how he got there. And, I mean, it just goes to show, like, how the set of Caddyshack was as debaucherous as the film itself. This, this, it was pure anarchy. <laughs> and Ramis kind of just let him do whatever he wanted. So this is where we get into the impact of the movie itself. We know Caddyshack as this classic comedy movie that is quoted and quoted and quoted. And it, it was released in Jan- July 25th, 1980. Uh, just about a month, from, or just less than a month from when we're recording this, and 40 years later. Wow, it's the 40th anniversary of Caddyshack this year, isn't it? Yep. Uh, Didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> many of the film's cast were complimented, but there were some criticisms toward Harold Ramis, again, first-time director, that he couldn't quite hold the movie together. Uh that it just didn't really click. It was funny, but it didn't make a lot of sense. Despite that, on a budget of $6 million, it went on to gross nearly $40 million, which was huge in 1980, especially on a $6 million budget. And the fact that audiences loved it. It has cemented itself as a comedy classic. It shows up on top comedy lists. It's a Cinderella story. Uh, one in a million <laughs> and, well, and, and we do have to stress, by modern standards, $40 million does not sound like a lot. But in, in 1980, that was a smash hit, especially on a budget of $6 million, which, again, was also a little bit more than we consider now, but still small for the time. But a, a $40 million return is, was massive at the time. We've been a little spoiled by these billion-dollar Marvel movies for the last decade, and even before that. You know, movies, you know, breaking records with a hundred thousand dollar, a hundred million dollar openings. But that that's why those things were big deals, because they didn't happen that often. So this movie did very, very well. And I think this is one of those things where there's a lot of things that are classics that don't get the warm reception at first, especially in the 80s. It's not until they've had some time to marinate with people that they become, you know, the classics that they're meant to be uh, specifically critically a lot of people will kind of walk back after a while and sort of retract them so let's get into the movie uh, itself we don't have to really go plot by plot but we can kind of give a a general gist of what's about i I feel like this is a movie that that 90 percent of anybody that's listening to us has seen before but if you don't are not aware of caddyshack it takes place at the bushwood country club where Danny, who is a cat, uh, Danny Noonan, who is a caddy at the club, is trying to earn enough money to go to college. Uh, and it basically follows the events of the few days after that, where he caddies for Ty Webb, who is Chevy Chase's character, uh, who is a super talented golfer and one of the sons. He's, he's big in the club. Uh, you've got uh, Judge Smales, who is played excellently by Ted Knight. Uh, Ted Knight of the Mary Tyler Moore show and uh, also the narrator on the Super Friends to throw a little Batman connection in there. (laughs) Yes, he did. Meanwhile, uh, and 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 their their travails as this (laughs) this land developer who is building a condo right on the edge of Bushwood property, uh, who is uh, Al Chervik, who is played by Rodney Dangerfield in. Honestly, one of the funniest roles I've ever seen him in. Yeah, so I'm. What's weird is, as a kid, I was always a big fan of Rodney Dangerfield. He looked like a cartoon come to life, and 
I think the first movie that I actively remember seeing him in was maybe a like a, a cable area back to school. But like when I was a kid, uh, Ladybugs had come out. So, I mean, like I that was my kind of real window to getting into him. But I, I did notice as soon as he walks into this film, the energy just pops like he just adds this massive jolt whenever he's on screen. And because I, for me watching the beginning, it was fine. It's good. Um, I wasn't there. There was some fun yucks, but I wasn't like super, super into it. And then as soon as Dangerfield walks in, I mean, he, he's just on he it. Ener- he energizes every scene. And, and and it's something where I can tell you the lines that he says, but I don't have the delivery of Rodney Dangerfield. He walks in. One of the first things he does is he walks into the pro shop uh, with his with his uh, stereotypical uh, for the time uh, Japanese photographer buddy who is taking pictures of everything. And he looks at this hat and says, this is the ugliest hat I've ever seen. And he looks over and Judge Smales is wearing the hat and just kind of cuts. He apes for the camera a little bit, but looks good on you, though. And it's just, <laughs> it's just hilarious. And there are so many little. And then later he's like, hey, Whitey, where's your hat? <laughs> so it's, it's so, so very funny. And in the same way that, that like Chevy Chase in, in his role as Ty Webb, he is, he's out there golfing with, with Danny. And we all remember, of course, the no 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 be the ball no 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 that's not the funny part of that scene for me the funny part of that scene is when Chevy Chase can't remember can't remember the the caddy's name and just and the the, the wordplay of where they're going <laughs> back and him forth <laughs> calls him Betty he calls him uh, Debbie he calls him uh, Billy he calls him a number of different names but uh, just and the wordplay about them d- defining things is just it's 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 really com- comedic gold. It doesn't mean anything. None of this really means anything for the sake of the movie. And they, and until you get to the very end and it's like, Oh, well, this is how this is got all going to tie together. I would argue that there is a, a followable enough plot to this movie, but also that the there, plot doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. It, it, it's simply like I, when I read that, the the reason they were able to find they did the gopher was because they were able to find a way to make it a, an actual narrative thread and i was like well at least they they understood there was a problem because that was one of my takeaways is this is kind of a movie about nothing there are pieces of a movie here like you would think a golf competition for uh was it $80,000 and all it, this it gets to the point of $80,000 which again $80,000 in 1980 would have been an astronomical amount of money. And, but even that is, that is couched in just going back and forth between Ted's Knight character and Rodney Dangerfield's character. It doesn't really mean anything. And we don't even know if they're, if he's even going to pay out. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, I think a lot of the comedy does work. Um, you, you can tell it is a bunch of comedians. It, it felt like a week, a weekend with the guys is, is what this movie is. It is a bunch of comedians letting their hair down and having fun. Like the thing is a lot of times you hear about parting the set being a problem. And while I gave some, you know, outland, not outlandish. I mean, it is outlandish, but I mean, a true story about Bill Murray it seemed like it wasn't a problem on set. It seemed like everyone had a really good time. Even Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, who a few years ago got into a fist fight on the set of SNL. A few know, years before this movie came out, not a few years ago from now. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> that would have been a very different thing. They, they did not like each other. And the their one, they, they apparently had made some niceties in between and sat down together and wrote this scene together. And both of them, I will, I gotta say, both of them bring their A game in this scene. I think it's some of the best work that Chevy Chase has ever done. And I think it's, I, I couldn't say it's the best work at Bill Murray because he has such a, a strong filmography. But I mean, they both pull out the best of each other. And it's also the only scene they've ever filmed together. Which is, 
at least in a movie. Right. But yeah. I mean, still, that, that's that's that's, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and we, we, I, do I don't need know. To, we do need to talk about Bill Murray's character a little bit because it is. He's the thing people most remember, I feel like. He is, which which is funny because Chevy Chase is the star of the movie. But Bill Murray is what everyone remembers as as Carl Spackler, which, again, there are some amazing names in this <laughs> in this movie. Uh, Smales is very funny. Uh, 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 Carl Spackler is very funny. The uh, I don't really know what to call this character. The um, the this was an R rated film and mm-hmm. and the the sort of main eye candy what what do you call this particular not not really a femme fatale she's it's it's something that used a lot in comedy i don't know if there is a specific term for her but she she's interesting because she does not care about anything in 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 this store like like she's part of everyone's story but she's just there because she's bored Exactly, and that is something that they. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. We'll get into that later. But I, I, I find that that character very funny for that reason. She is this person's cousin, and she's hooked up with this character, and she's hooked up with this character, and all of this stuff. But it does. But it, they don't. It, it doesn't matter. In, in, in any other '80s movie about that was supposed to be about teen caddies, she would have been the object of the lovelorn protagonist's affection, and it would be this big coming-of-age deal. Whereas they're kind of lampooning that, where it's this girl who's got this sexual agency. She does what she wants. No one shames her for it. She doesn't care. And she's just kind of doing her own thing. And it's it's almost like she's having her own Caddyshack weekend. Like, yeah, and, and- yeah the boys are all getting together, and she she's also doing her... She's home for the summer, and she's just... And Do whatever af- she wants. And after the big change in the caddy Danny's story, when the two of them have a romantic interlude in Judge Smale's house, she appears in the background. And that's it after that. Yeah. Um. Well, this, this, so when, and whenever you try to like get into uh, anyone's but, but, but story. The, the only reason I brought that up is because she, her name is Lacey Underall, which I just think is, is a funny name. It's a funny name for what that character it, is. It, it, it sounds like a 1960s Bond femme fatale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like Lacey Underall or an Austin Powers girl. Like probably more of an Austin Powers girl. Um, yeah, like, like, like Jackie Davis, who's who's a, a well-known actor uh, and and jazz singer. He plays uh, a, a guy that works at the club. His name is Smoke Porterhouse, uh, the 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 doctor in the film, who's always part of Smale's uh, uh, golf group. Always checking his beeper is literally named Doctor Beeper. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, I mean you you can tell these guys didn't. What's interesting about this is I don't think anyone here actively cared about making a film they were literally just having fun with their friends what can be the funniest thing we can do in this moment right so when you look at it which i think i was trying too hard to do when i watched it this is why i was a little tepid at first when you look at it as a movie it's not i would almost look at it as a presentation by improv comedians that has some loose connection in that it's all at a country club because anytime you try to get into anyone's story that isn't Dangerfield, it's you 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 start talking about oh this character you know has these goals and stuff and then well then this happens and this happens and it doesn't really quite make sense and then there there's some weird stuff with the pregnancy story that makes no sense. I feel like a lot of that pregnancy story was in the cutting room floor. Well, it, it's why I would have liked to have seen what the caddy subplots were going to be because I, I, for a movie called Caddyshack, you know, outside of Danny, you know, I feel like there could have been a lot. There was actually probably a really good teen comedy in this movie, well, and, but you and, can't make that and, with well, Chevy Chase, Ronnie Dangerfield. There was and the Bill caddy Murray. tournament that happened in the middle of the movie. Yeah, which like, you you would think that would be its own movie. Like he, he Danny wins the caddy tournament. He wins the scholarship in the middle of the movie and then proceeds to lose it because of other things. <laughs> and then it, proceeds it, to not need it because he's he falls in with uh with 
with Chevy Rodney Chase Dangerfield. and Dangerfield. Yeah. yeah. And I I gotta say, I do like um Chevy Chase's Thai character. Uh, I feel like because even though he's he's the kind of character you expect Chevy Chase to often play, there's something a little more wholesome is not the right word. Well-intentioned about this character that he doesn't seem like he's the kind of person that like, like when he's trying to uh, hook up with uh, Lacey Underall, he's not really trying to pull any tricks on her. He's pretty straightforward. He's absolutely straightforward and she is absolutely straightforward. And that is one of those things that they are, they are, he's a little, a little dishonest with her in that, uh, but that's mostly just, I, I don't know. That's a weird part of it because they have been, Kind of perfectly, perfectly honest and upfront with each other before that. Uh, the thing I'll say about Chevy Chase in this is, if I if you look back at Chevy Chase's filmography, he was known for being a bit of a oh, what's the a rake, oh, oh, full of himself. Oh yeah, absolutely rakish personality. He left SNL after that first year because he was he exploded in popularity. And that was honestly one of the thing, one of the reasons that that he and Bill Murray had a fight because he came back to the show to host, and all of a sudden sort of bossed everybody around like he was in charge, and people didn't take to that because they felt like he had abandoned them, and it was a whole big thing. But up to this point, he hasn't. He's done a couple of movies, and then Caddyshack hits. He is not yet Fletch. He's not yet. National Clark Griswold that happens later and it's it happens mostly because of this movie and it happens mostly because of this movie so I think we're what we are seeing is is the still the prototypical Chevy Mm -hmm. Chase character yeah I I can definitely see that I mean because I'm I'm used to seeing him spies like us and and things of that nature but what also compared to sort of how he is in the second one you know I I really like his his tie web character he seems well-intentioned i also like he belongs to the club but he does not really belong to the club he actually he actively hates the club (laughs) yeah and i think that's what's so cool about it like a lot of the slobs versus snobs stuff uh, really boiled down to a lot of gross out humor the thing was there's a lot of stuff they could have done in animal house and in meatballs and, and and even in this but i do like how there are some moments in both these movies well, they actually do try to throw out like, you know, yeah, I don't you just just because I'm rich doesn't mean I have to act like a jackass. You know, even though he acts like a jackass in a, a totally different way. Yeah. For for comedic purposes. And I mean, again, all of this, I think, is held together by by Dangerfield's just explosively fun performance. Yes. Um, and, But and, yeah, I, I, and, I did enjoy my time with this movie. I still I still feel weird calling it like this great classic, but I think with comedy, it's so subjective and so weird because comedy is also often of its time. And the two of us also grew up at a time where the, the impact of this movie was still being felt. Yes. So again, we talked about this movie, 1980 budget of 6 million box office of, of $40 million. What happens next? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You cannot blame a studio for wanting a sequel. It's just, it's it's what's going to happen. So what's weird is they make it almost a decade later. Uh, Caddyshack 2 ends up coming out in 1988. And that, that in and of itself seems to be begging for failure because making a sequel so long after the fact usually isn't a a great sign. And that's basically exactly what they got. The story of Caddyshack 2 is not one of an endless party. There are not so many great, you know, anecdotes. Mostly it's studio wanted this studio demanded this and studio got what they paid for. (laughs) So who did they go to? They turn to Harold Ramis Mm -hmm. who at this point has done Ghostbusters would have been after this, uh, a number of other things. Uh, the The rest of the cast had gone on to much greater things. And so... Did he do Stripes before or after Caddyshack? Uh, I, I mean, it, he would have been in... He wouldn't have directed it. I think Stripes was pre-Caddyshack, but he was just okay. in that. 
Let me look. Okay. Let me look because I might be wrong about that. Uh, for some reason, Strike is a nineteen. He, he was a nineteen eighty-one film. Okay, so, so it was been, after Caddyshack. Would have been right after, but Ivan Reitman directed that. So right. Did he? Uh, did he? Uh, he did write Stripes, though. He's got writing credit for Stripes. So, according to Ramis, in his own words, the studio begged me. They said, hey, we've got a great idea. The Shack is back. And I said, no, I don't think so. But they said that Rodney really wanted to do it, and we could build it around Rodney. Rodney said, come on, do it. Then the classic argument came up with came up, which says that if you don't do it, someone will, and it'll be really bad. So I worked on a script with my partner, Peter Torek V, consulting with Rodney all the time. Then Rodney got into a fight with the studio and backed out. We had some success with Back to School, which I produced and wrote, and we were working with the same director, Alan Metter. When Rodney pulled out, I pulled out, and then they fired Alan and got someone else, in this case, Alan Arkish, who, this is Drew adding this note in, who ended up directing Caddyshack 2. I got a call from co-producer John Peters saying, come with us to New York. We're going to go see Jackie Mason. I said, oh, don't do this. Why don't we let it die? And he said, no, it'll be great. But I didn't go, and they got other writers to finish it. I tried to take my name off that one, but they said that if I took my name off it, it would come out in the trades and, it, and I would hurt the film. <laughs> well, it turns out it likely wouldn't have done much more damage than the film itself. Uh, this film was released to scathing reviews that often dropped any academic critical pretense just to tear the movie to shreds. I read the L.A. Times review for Caddyshack 2, and oh, man. I mean, it it does not. <laughs> Whoever wrote that actively hated this movie, unlike probably anything they had experienced in a very long time. And... Some of those jokes in the reviews were funnier than the ones in the film. And Which is not difficult film, to do, let me tell you. Yeah, unlike the first film, Caddyshack 2 was not bol- uh, bolstered by box office returns, making only 11.8 of a budget of $20 million, becoming a massive flop and often considered, although I, I would disagree with this, but one of the worst sequels of all time. Yeah, it's not only one of the worst sequels of all time, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I, I have seen far worse. Well, movies. you have you I mean, you in particular have watched a lot more movies than I have. You've seen a lot more other things. Uh, so I also watch a lot of trash. <laughs> you also watch a lot of trash. So Caddyshack 2, uh, as previously mentioned, 1988 film uh, as a sequel to Caddyshack. Uh, <laughs> the only returning uh, character and only returning well two returning characters one returning actor in the form of chevy chase as ty webb who does show up for about six minutes in this movie but as a really and i i will say this i i, I came away from this movie much much more lenient than than drew did but I, one thing i hated about this movie was ty webb they they changed the character drastically and it's in subtle ways that really ruined it for me yeah so we have, uh, in, in addition to, to what we have mentioned, so we've got Jackie Mason as Jack Hartunian, a real estate developer with a heart of gold, which they never let you forget the entire movie, that he's a great guy, he's a great guy, uh, who is clearly based on, on uh, Rodney Dangerfield's character from the first film. Yes, um, Jackie Mason, for, for those who are not super familiar, he was, he was also a, a big stand-up comedian. Um, of of a lot of accord in the same way that Dangerfield was. They both were, um, they had kind of similar act. And, you know, uh, Mason brought, I mean, used uh, his Jewish uh, background for a lot of his jokes. And so they very shamelessly, like, and and I, mean, I think Ramis knew what they were trying to do when they when they said, oh, we're going to see Jackie Mason. He knew exactly what they were going to do. Oh, we're going to take the character you wrote change the name and make another comedian who does a similar style thing play him. Yeah. And honestly, to his credit, Jackie Mason is not bad in this movie. He's not he's bad, not, but he's also not great. Like it's, well, it's, he's not, well, here's the thing. He's not Rodney Dangerfield. He's not Rodney Dangerfield. And, and so, so what this movie is about is, is, is actually more about, well, I say more about the, 
Oh, this movie know, actually has a narrative thread. It uh, you does. Gotta, you gotta admit that. It, it does have a narrative thread. It might have too much narrative thread. Uh, this movie, <laughs> the jumping off point of this movie is that that Jack Cartoonian, the real estate developer's daughter, Kate, is friends, uh, she's uh, friends from college with this, with this girl whose Miffy. name is Miffy. You can't, I mean, like, it's, it's, We've talked. We, we have mentioned the phrase "slobs versus snobs" a few times on this episode, but it's like they took the slobs and they turned the snobs line up to not eleven, but more like thirteen or fifteen. Oh yeah, and well, what's funny is the, he does deliver a line to Miffy when he finds out her name that I was I I I, oh, I promise you was left over for Ramus's script and I was like, you know, that was definitely a Dangerfield line. Okay, I will tell you that it, that line in particular is the only funny thing in this movie. <laughs> um, also, and something that Drew does agree with me with, this film kicks off with a banger Kenny Loggins song. Uh, we didn't even talk about Kenny Loggins with uh, Caddyshack. Uh, the I'm Alright song, which is just as iconic as the Caddyshack film, um, Kenny Loggins comes comes back with Nobody's Fool, which is was a number one, number eight hit on the Billboard, on the Billboard Top 100. Chart. It is the only successful part of this movie. <laughs> that that is true, but uh, the chorus of Nobody's Fool is amazing. It it I actually like it more than his song from Caddyshack One. I this song is awesome. It it just hits the right notes. It has this weird element of uh, kind of a male pop meets hair metal type thing that he did a lot of and i i would put this on a play playlist like uh with like um turn up the radio by autograph like i i love this kind of stuff and <laughs> so i think but mixed with this drew watched this movie before i did and so i got a lot of his live reactions and so it also might have been because my my expectations were then super low. Like Drew sounded actively angry. I was. This, I, this is an hour and a half of my life that I will never get back. And that, that is literally what he <laughs> said to me. And I, 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 y'all know me. I am a typically a pretty positive guy when it comes to content. I started this show because. I thought there was too much negativity about stuff on the internet, and I can't, I can't defend this one, gang. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I don't see, except for that one joke that Miles just reminded me of. I, <laughs> I'm having a hard time. So, so there, so, there were well, things let's, that let's, I <laughs> let's, let's get back into the overall plot. So, so, okay. so, so, Kate Hartunian, Jack Hartunian's daughter. Yes, Jackie Mason plays Jackie Hartunian. It was that, that era. You know, the, yeah, that, that uh, the living bejesus out of me. Uh, so, so she wants to join this country club uh, because she thinks it will it will further her her social standing back at college. At one of the four colleges they mentioned in this movie that I can't figure out who went to where, and it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. So, uh, and 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 so. The other side of that is that that Jack has is building not just condos but low and middle income housing right across the street, and there is this rundown shack of uh, that that doesn't even have walls. It's just four posts and what's left of a roof that the Bushwood Historical Society is trying to get named a a cultural landmark so that it will block. Uh, his Jack's ability to uh, to to build there and, and to to continue and and of course who is on that but the the wife of the current Bushwood president uh, Cynthia Chandler Young Chandler oh, Young, oh, is yeah, the, Young is is and his wife Cynthia who also happened to be the parents of Miffy. Oh, and those hijinks, they ensue. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there, there, there are some things about this movie that really work for me. Um, I, I think sometimes I appreciate just absurdity for absurdity's sake, which is not any more like... I understand the somewhat the, uh, the slight hypocrisy of me saying like, oh, well, you know, the first one's just improv for improv's sake. So I get that, like... One scene that that Drew absolutely hates, <laughs> and for whatever reason, I really get a kick out of. I think because I was around people like the Youngs and the and 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 you know Miffy and like I my 
my dad was a real estate appraiser. And so he often had to deal with those people. And so often, like when you're a kid, you get drug along. So I had to, I, I, w- I was kind of the, the caddy in a lot of these situations. And so I really appreciate kind of seeing someone really give like the, the middle finger to a lot of them. So when he puts up, when he buy he buys Bushwood and turns it basically into this zany putt putt course. We're, and it is super trashy. Yeah, and oh, super oh, so, fairground. And, and we also we should clarify because again, no one should watch this movie, so we should explain the plot a little bit more. Uh, so there's a there, there's a big there's a big fight uh, uh, because uh, Cynthia has discovered that that Jack wants to 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 do the thing, and they block him from joining the club. Too much to Kate's consternation. So Jack gets angry. And buys the club after this really weird dealing with Chevy Chase's character as Ty Webb, who just doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, he's full Chevy Chase at this point. Yes, and he acts like it. I think that's what makes me hate this version, because the first version of Ty Webb is... Um, he's affable. He's fun. There's there is a goodness there that I think is completely absent in the version of Ty Webb in this film. In the, in the first movie, Ty Webb seems like he doesn't care. In the second movie, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's cashing a paycheck. He's gonna do his Chevy Chase thing at about forty five percent energy, and that's gonna be it. Yeah, and I mean, he's publicly gone and said he wishes he didn't do the movie. And I mean, I think at one point he <laughs> almost got in a fight with the director because he said during post production, uh, "Call me when you've dubbed the laugh track before walking away in disgust." Um, oh, so, man. so he buys I mean, he, yeah. bu- he buys the golf course and turns it into a public course. That's wacky and zany that has themed holes like it's a full golf course, but it's got all the trappings of mini golf, like a a windmill that you have to shoot things through. And. uh, There's so so much about this movie that I just don't like the the, I mean, there are things obviously that don't age well, and there are some things that I'm just like, ooh, that that doesn't work. There are some things that don't age well, and there's some things that should not have ever happened. And I'm gonna. Are are we talking about the uh, slave auction? I feel like we have to, and I don't want to in 2020 in 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 June or July of 2020. I don't want to talk about this, but we have to talk about this. This movie is so slobs versus snobs that the snobs have a a joking fun slave auction. That is a thing that happens in this movie. This is an unforgivable movie. So the reason I don't mind this being in the film, because the movie condemns it, um, because you're siding with Jackie that people did that kind of thing at country clubs. I, I have seen it. It is, I mean, it's abhorrent. And I remember being like, 11 or 12 looking around being like, what is going on? And (sighs) that that's why I I think that it should be in the movie because we need to highlight just how heinous some of these people with too much money can be. But even then, even then with that and that not needing not be a thing that exists in anybody's consciousness. I agree with that. Yes, it, it has. It's played in the movie too on the nose that it's not even the slightest bit trying to be funny even though i think they're actually meaning it to be funny it's not funny it's just not funny it's not funny i mean i i I do not disagree with you i don't think the bit is funny there's no comedy there it's not funny in 1988 it's not funny in 19 90 it's not funny in 2000 it's not funny in 2020 it's it's i don't know i I 100 percent agree with you there i just I liked it there as a takedown because I have like again because being drugged to some of these things um because you know didn't have money for babysitters I have seen that stuff and I I I I appreciate showcasing like it comes off as a bit but I think some people were really just trying to take a jab at the uber rich um but while we're talking about the uber rich let, let's talk about um I guess I don't want to say the elephant in the room but there's a member on this cast who I love very, very much. 
And I forgive a lot of his stuff because I watched this movie differently because I love this actor. And I'm talking about Robert Stack. So Robert, Growing up. So Robert Stack <laughs> plays Chandler Young, basically stepping into the uh, the the uh, the Ted Knight role. Yeah. Uh, in in Ted Knight's defense, he had passed away before this movie began production, so there was no yeah, way he could have movie. he could have sullied this his career with this. <laughs> um, Robert Stack acts with the same deliveries that he gives in Unsolved Mysteries. And as someone who grew up obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries, and as someone who has recently finished watching all 12 seasons of Unsolved Mysteries over the last like year, I, I know this was not even a factor then, but it tickles me to death now because some of the lines that he's delivering in that same cadence as he delivered some of the most interesting mysteries of the 80s and 90s i that is what made me laugh so much like is his deliveries with a lot of his lines and i know that is a specifically four miles thing which is why i often try to say like i don't think this movie is good but i did laugh a lot and and again it's it's one of those things where his performance is fine it's not bad. It's not terrible. There's just not a heck of a lot to work with. Uh, especially when you're dealing with other members of this cast. I don't know whether this was stunt casting or what, but you have so, so other characters in this movie. Uh, Jack Hartunian's lawyer, uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter Blunt, not in the you know what way, but in the way is a very blunt character played by Randy Quaid. <sighs> I, he, I, his bits made me laugh. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to apologize for it, but it, but knowing the role was written for Sam Kinison makes so much sense. It makes so much more sense because Sam Kinison would have in, in a way that Jackie Mason's energy can't match Rodney Dangerfield's energy. There's a way that, that, Randy Quaid's Tom, energy can't yeah. match Sam Kinison's energy. And and that would have been something more interesting to see. It still wouldn't make any sense because your lawyer, oh, your your tot shot talented lawyer is just a guy that screams and threatens people with physical violence is not something that that works comedically for me. I don't find it funny. I don't find it like like I, it would be funny if he did that, but then was also a tremendously good lawyer. But he's I will not. agree with that. He's because not. he's just a bad lawyer. Waiting who for I was waiting for a moment where he would show his legal prowess, and there is one moment where he leans over to Jackie and kind of gives him the breakdown. So I feel like the character is supposed to have some sort of um prowess in law may not be amazing lawyer but at the same time i was enjoying the shtick like when he hides behind the bugs bunny um while um was it robert stack that's 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 golfing that whole i can't remember yeah but yeah there, there, there's just some there's some dumb bits in this movie i mean part of it is yes there was a soft spot for trash in my heart but you know what caddyshack 2 i see you you're not good but i but i see you so there's there's <laughs> three other things that I need to talk about before I I have to stop talking about this movie because I'm going to lose it. I'm going to break down. (laughs) I may, I may cry. This this month was your entire idea. I know. And I'm paying for it. I'm paying for it. You were a positive objective thing that we've carried for eight years. (laughs) So, so in, in Caddyshack one, you have the sort of side character that doesn't really interact with a lot of the main cast in the form of Bill Murray as, as the, the groundskeeper as Carl Spackler. Well, in this movie that is taken place by Dan Aykroyd who, who Robert Sachs character Chandler Young hires. He's Marine captain Tom Everett doing a weird voice that seems a little too put on. and doesn't seem natural enough for the well, he- character. The, the character talks about like having his testicles blown off or something. I just it's. Um, I I think that character would have worked for one scene. Yeah. I did not need him to try to be like you said the 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 Bill Murray character. Once you have him and going with the gopher for I guess just Which for having brings him, me but... to thing the second. 
Well, let me finish this thought. But if you had just had him do the the food cart scene, I think it would have been fine. Yeah, it, even he wore out his welcome for me in that scene. But um, so that leads me to the second bit and the bit that actually opens the movie. The one of the things that is is sort of a through line in Caddyshack one uh, added after the fact, as we are aware of, based on our earlier conversation is the gopher. Well, the gopher makes a triumphant return in Caddyshack 2, voiced by Frank Welker. Yes, the gopher can talk, everybody. The gopher can kind talk. Kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he talks in, in non sequiturs that clearly everyone knows, but makes the right noises so that he, ne- he doesn't necessarily say words, but it's like, he you says, know, so I'm back. He, he literally says, I'm back. I mean, he's saying, I'm back. Yes. Well, he's he's using the right, like, syllables to do it and the right, um, like, vowels, but he's not actually saying words. He says, hubba hubba. He says. He does say hubba hubba. <laughs> he, says, he says other phrases based on, like, chocolate, chocolate. He, he says words. He says words. He doesn't ever talk to characters. Uh, but, but again, so, so as, as we get through, so. Chandler Young has hired Dan Aykroyd's Captain Tom Everett to assassinate Jack Hartunian if it looks like he's going to win this golf match that is going to be the ownership of the Bushwood Country Club. Good Lord. That's a funny, it's a funny premise, but it doesn't work in this movie. I think it works for me. If it had been done. But Dan Aykroyd, Aykroyd, to to pick up what you're saying, that, that whole bit is awful. I think I honestly think the gopher is awful in both movies. I don't care. I don't about the gopher care about the gopher. The gopher is my least favorite part of both of these movies. It is exceptionally bad in this movie when he's the, go- I, this, the gopher in this movie exists to pour foodstuffs on him and be just fully gross. And I feel bad for whatever production assistant had to clean that gopher after every take of these things because. Yeah, I think ugh. they were trying to do like a Slimer type thing. And I mean, it's just, it doesn't work at honestly. I don't, I don't think it's the same, same animatronic because it, it looks worse. They spent more money, but it looks worse. It has more, eight years later. It has more things it can do, but it looks, but you yeah. can see all the seams and it's just, it's it also awful. has like a little, a little gopher hole that you see the inside of where he's collected all these things. And I, I don't know. I did. It's I bad. do agree with it's you. Bad, with, with the second. It's bad. I, it's I bad. did not care for the gopher. Okay. And the final, final thing that I want to talk about. I want to remind everybody that this movie is called Caddy Shack. Caddy Shack 2. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Silverman is in this movie in three scenes as the caddy. Don't even remember his name. It said it said once by Ty Webb wrong. Um, who does he even play? He plays Harry. He's he's barely in this movie. His presence in this movie is to be bad at golf and to be correct, have his swing corrected by Jack Cartoonian's daughter, Kate, but then to also suddenly be an amazing golfer at the end of the movie. I mean, it's it's a Xerox copy of Danny. His story is basically Danny's story. Except I, Danny wasn't to... bad at golf. No, no, no. But his story is basically the same thing. They're, they're, they're just copy and pasting stuff in the first one that worked. It doesn't work in this one, but at the same time, like it's not like I mean, yes, they it gave it would have been better a little if, bit more. It would have been to, better if Kate, who had been talked about having amazing golf skills the entire movie, had been the one to save the day at the end. I mean, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that they they had that character specifically just to basically copy the Danny character and move on. I can't I can't put too much flack on it for not doing much with them because the first movie doesn't do a whole lot I mean, with the their caddies, even if they have more, more scenes. The first one does way more with the caddies. Way more. It There's, does, but it, it still doesn't do a whole lot. The, the caddies in this movie are fired in their first scene. Yeah, which is funny because I texted you uh, when, when I was rewatching the first one. And I think at that point you'd already rewatched both of them. And I asked you, I was like, we're, we're, I should preface this all with, I hate golf. I, I do not like golf at all. It's the only sport that I can't BS a conversation in. I, I can, I can hold, I can hold the conversation enough to be social with almost any sport, but golf. And so I, that's why I asked Drew, I was like, was, was, were golf carts a real threat of caddies? Because caddies still exist today. And, and I think Drew's thing was like, 
apparently. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I play golf. Well, I, I quote play golf. I haven't played in more than a year. And when I do play, I am awful, but I do like drinking outside. So, uh, I mean, I like drinking outside. <laughs> I just drink outside. <laughs> play golf, man. Gives you, I'll show you how it's done. Give you, gives you an excuse. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, so, but I am not of a of a wealthy enough position to play anywhere where golf or caddies would be a thing. But I also don't play at country clubs. I play at courses, and that may be different. I don't know. They're not a thing in my golfing world. Yeah, I. I mean. I, I my uh my stepbrother uh caddies for a resort in somewhere in Charleston area. And so I know that caddies are still a thing. That's why I was sort of confused because I I, I thought they just like I, I honestly I don't know all of the job descriptions for caddies. I get that they carry the clubs. I thought they like gave advice or something with what I mean typically typically if you're talking a pro level caddy, they do in fact give advice. Okay. Um, which is, uh, that's why I was always confused as to why it was mostly teenagers that were caddy. So I was like, yeah, these kids probably don't know. Uh, again, I think, I think that that is more of a tradition Time period. thing. So, yeah. so you also have to imagine that, that golf carts back in the days when Brian Doyle Murray and Bill Murray and Harold Ramis were caddying were not electric golf carts that are relatively quiet. They would have been gas powered golf carts, which would have sounded much louder. I'm pulling this out of out of the air i don't know that this is true but i do know that there were were gasoline powered cart and uh and and uh, gasoline powered golf carts that i just imagine would be louder than an electric cart and the carts that they were uh, that they swapped to in caddyshack 2 were electric carts so that makes sense yeah because at, at the beginning of the movie he's the the kid uh, was a chip uh, i was like i've just got 50 golf carts coming in so you're fired uh, Todd. Like, His right, name was right. Todd. Todd, Chip, Todd, whatever. I was just like, all right, dude, that's that's fine. I don't know. Th- that's the thing with some of these uh, slobs versus snobs movies is I think there is stuff to still mine from some of these movies, even something like Caddyshack uh, under a a newer writer. Like, I think some of these things I hate it when I have met people like the people at Bushwood. I know that these people exist, but I hate when people are written as one dimensional just archetypes like i i and this happens a lot in in these kind of movies especially in the 80s um movies now some characters have more pathos like the character of steve in stranger things would have stayed the bad guy in the 80s but under different writers we see that there's there's a he's got a reason for everything so when you rewatch the first the first series the first season you realize yeah, we, we kind of think Steve's a, a D-bag because of all the 80s movies growing up. But when you rewatch it and kind of see things from kind of his point of view, it's like, well, you know what? He never did anything necessarily wrong. And then he becomes one of the best characters well, he, in the show. He broke dude's camera. He did not have a bad reason. <laughs> you know, so, if you look at it from Steve's perspective, yeah, it's, it was a, it's they, a dick they, move. That's This is a whole different conversation because that, that series exists to both support and 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 turn on their head a lot of the tropes of movies from the era that we are watching absolutely i but i do i i always kind of like when when characters even in comedies are written as these caricatures i can only take so much so watching both these movies back to back with every single zombie person acting like i wanted more ty webs (laughs) from from caddyshack one um but so i mean the whole purpose is, I mean, clearly with Caddyshack 2, we can see why this franchise follied. We, we can see, you know, after losing a massive amount of money with a critically panned movie, this movie, I, I would have imagined, made the Caddyshack quote-unquote franchise poison to the studio. At least for a period of time. Now, this is one of those things that I am surprised we didn't get a... A, a 20 or 2011 Seven. or 2007 like so something in the in the aughts to mid-teens caddyshack reimagining probably called something like caddyshack the shack is back or 
something like that would have been called Caddyshack three would have been called something else. We, we were doing some research about this and we found an article that was like, Oh, they're pl- was, it, it was an April fool's article. It was, I was fake. I was so mad at you for that. I didn't look at the date because it's not April 1st when I looked at it, but you know. yeah, I think at one point there was supposed to be a, um, there was talk of an Owen Wilson led Caddyshack remake. Um, Oh, I think wow. there's still talking about it. Oh, wow. Um, I think um, there's other names I've seen floated around is like John Lovitz being involved. And I, I could, I could see any of these things happening. I, I like you. And as recently as 2017, John Peters, who produced the first movie wants to remake it. Uh, he wanted to remake it as far as 2017 uh, with Jack Nicholson, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. No, Jack Nicholson is kind of retired. and Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I think he's at least on the right track. It, it's one of those situations where, again, this is one of those things where we talk about franchises and we talk about this. Like, if this movie had been successful, we would have had a Caddyshack 3 and a Caddyshack 4 and a Caddyshack 5 and a Caddyshack 6 Citizens on Patrol. It would have happened. But... Oh, man. I want to do Police Academy so bad now. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different... Uh, different yeah, that's theme. a whole series. Um, so the last conversation from that thing, I will say, was in 2012, uh, Jay Chandra Shaker, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, from Broken Lizard said that he had been approached to remake Caddyshack and his attitude was um, people will string me up if I tried to do that. I thought about <laughs> it for a, about a day and I called them up and said, I'd have loved to have this, have had this conversation, but I could never. And I don't know. I don't believe you can remake comedy films that are great and have them really work, which, you know what? I appreciate him saying that. Cause I, I kind of think the same thing. I don't think there's ever a reason to remake like a comedy like this. Just make something else in the same vein. Like, I, I don't necessarily think you need the name recognition because I don't think, especially in 2020, like, Caddyshack is not Ghostbusters. You know, Caddyshack is not Transformers. You can make a a similar movie and call it something else and have it be a new classic. It's fine. For sure. Um, I, I, I Yeah, with, with this one, it's kind of a, well... An easy one to tee off with because I can I can easily see why this movie did, and now this is going to happen a lot this month. I can I can easily see why this franchise never had a, another one because the first one was was very much lightning in the bottle, and the second one ended up we'll in see the this, rough. Had to end, yes. had to had to have a golf pun. <laughs> well, that's why I used the tee off bit. <laughs> I know. Um, I had to I had to finish the finish oh, the drew phrase. one and one two. Okay, I had to finish okay. the phrase. Uh, so. <laughs> With that, uh, I don't want to talk about Caddyshack 2 any more than we've already done. This is the thing that we are that that is the most interesting. And we have we so first our first franchise folly is dreaming too big to try to recapture glory. And I feel like that's a, a theme that we're gonna see as we go forward in this, especially when it comes to next week's selections. And I would also argue that the theme is uh, creatively bankrupt studios try to Xerox something that made made sense for them at one point. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So with that, we announce next week's duology. Speed. There's a bomb in the podcast. <laughs> speed and speed to cruise control. I am very excited. Uh, one, because I, I wanted to make sure, and I think as far as I can tell, most of them do, these movies were like, because we we entered this theme with a summer blockbuster idea in mind. And I am so stoked to go back and watch Speed. It has been a long time. Yeah. And I remember loving this movie as a kid. And I remember seeing the second movie in theaters opening weekend. Um, I legit, I think I blacked out because I do not remember anything about this movie except that it has a boat it's called it's called cruise control because it's on a cruise it's a boat movie (laughs) i'm i am excited and again don't let the boat go lower than 50 kph i'm i messed up the joke never mind I, I'm excited because one, I'm I'm very excited to revisit Speed. It, it is again has been a very long time since I visited that one, and 
I'm curious to go back and watch Speed 2. I mean, everyone knows that I I love my trash and sometimes I'm a little more lenient than <laughs> my friends. So I'm I'm excited. I don't know if it's going to be like I'll be as kind as I was to Caddyshack 2, but uh, please if you uh if you have some other franchise follies you want to suggest to us by all means uh i would love to hear your thoughts on what franchises you thought you know could have been something but you know screw the pooch um we are mostly i mean we have we have this month planned out right now but uh if someone comes up with something really really cool we might change things up but we mostly wanted to focus on movies that had only two entries when you have one really great movie and then the sequel that kind of ends the franchise. Um, and if you'd like to get, reach out to us for those, you can tweet to us at the more you nerd on Twitter. You can reach out to us at our email address, the more you nerd at gmail.com. That's the more you nerd at gmail.com. That's right. So uh, tune in next time as we, check out speed and speed too so until next time we're going to end the show as we always do with a rousing cinderella story 